The Fifth Academy Awards, held on November 18, 1932, were also the first ceremony to be nationally broadcast. Given the new audience, the presenters and winners were under strict instructions that there be no speeches. But of course, some things never change. Although, even if the orders had been followed, the show still would have had at least one extra speech to draw out the ceremony due to the first, and so far only, tie in the Best Actor category. In the lead-up to the awards, Wallace Beery was the heavy favorite to win the trophy. But when the category was announced, it was Frederick March who was honored for his work in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. As March thanked his makeup artist, the Academy judges were still hurriedly counting ballots. Once they finished tabulating, a judge called over host Conrad Nagel and explained that only one vote separated Beery from March, and, according to the official Academy rules, it was actually a tie. Without missing a beat, Conrad grabbed another Oscar and called Beery to the stage. The move rubbed many the wrong way, but because Beery's on-screen tough guy persona wasn't that much of a stretch from the real man, those who felt it was in the wrong kept their complaints to themselves. The Academy amended the rules the next year. From here on out, a tie meant a tie. For his part, March took the hubbub in stride, quipping, Mr. Berry and I recently adopted children. Under the circumstances, it seems odd that we are both given awards for best male performance of the year. Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine if the Academy got it right. I'm Devin. And I'm Kyle. And today we're going to be discussing the fifth Academy Awards, which were presented in 1932 and honored films that screened in Los Angeles between August 1st, 1931 and July 31st, 1932. Are you waiting for the color commentary? Like, I don't <laughs> well, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. That's interesting. I'm just reminding I mean, obviously, people... a different season than it typically yeah. is today. You know, for yep. sure. This is this is right before they switch to a um, year, a full year. Oh, this is right before. Yeah, well, that so is a full year, pretty much. What are you talking about? August first to July thirty first. Well, yeah, but like January first to December thirty first is how they do it now. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's just like one single oh. calendar year. Because this is so actually there were two ceremonies in one of the I don't know. But so there wasn't a ceremony. This ceremony was held in 1932 and then there wasn't one in 1933. And then starting in 1934, it was it's been on track since then. All right. Well, I'm assuming you weren't alive in the 30s because I know you. And I'm assuming most of our listeners weren't either because <laughs> probably you can't work podcasts if you were. I need to make a note. We have to stop using that joke. I know. I probably should. <laughs> you do it like every other episode. I know. Um, so here's a little here's a little background about what was going on in that time frame that I just mentioned. Which was what, 1931. 1931, 1932. Yeah. Um, so Herbert Hoover was the president. Wow. Mm-hmm. He built a dam. Um, some things that were going on. Prohibition. Not fun. Great Depression. Not fun. And the Dust Bowl. Not fun. So just like a lot of things that would make you want to drink and then you couldn't. <laughs> well, not in the movies we watched. They or were people, drinking they were drinking plenty. They were. But I think they were not doing it legally like no, they, they sure were weren't. going to speak easy. Sure but I feel like it was like I honestly feel like that was just like a understood thing. For people yeah. who had money. Well again and these were Poor people just made moonshine. 
pre-code movies as well. I feel like if the Hayes Code had been more fully that's true enacted, they wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to show all. people drinking. No, you're right. Or they would have had Gotta to love had their hand chopped off if they yeah. were drinking or something. You know, I, you know, I love I like watching these pre-code movies. Cause I like to see what they do, and like they actually they tell some pretty interesting stories that mm-hmm. you realize you you realize you've been kind of uh, sheltered from in in some later years mm-hmm. uh, in the era. Haven't seen any nudity yet, though. I thought there was, like, nudity in these pre-code stuff. No? No, because I think so. Um, right now, it's technically, like, pre-code, but the Hayes office was still there. They would, like, oh, okay. um, give, like, suggestions and stuff. So there was still... So, like, before the Hayes code was actually... Um, had to sign off on a movie before it was released, there were still, like, guidelines, and the studios were like, we're just going to abide by these guidelines, and then we don't have to have outside people policing us. Yeah. But then because so many, so much stuff was getting through, that's when they were like, never mind, we have to police it. Okay. So I think the more the nudity and stuff was more, like, in silent films, I think, is okay. when you saw more of that. Okay. Um, here's some other stuff, though, that was going on in 1931 and 1932. In 1931, on October 17th, Al Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion in Chicago, Illinois. Cool. Gotta pay your taxes. Who got him? Uh, Kevin Costner. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> in 1932, on March 1st, uh, Charles Lindbergh Jr., the infant son of Charles Lindbergh and Anne Morrow, was kidnapped from their home. Ten weeks later, he was found dead a few miles from their house. Shut the fuck up. Really? You didn't know the Lindbergh baby was... I thought that meant like his uh, hot air balloon. No, his baby was kidnapped and killed. Damn. Yeah, it's sad. Stark. It is, and um, they catch the people. Um, they arrested one person and tried him, but they believe that there were like other people that didn't. There's like a lot of conspiracy theories and stuff too that I'm not gonna get into because that's not what this podcast is about. But you guys should look it up. There's some interesting things. On May wow. 20th to the 21st, Amelia Earhart flew from the USA to Derry, Northern Ireland in 14 hours and 54 minutes. Nice. Is this like shortly after she disappeared or like? I think this was before she disappeared. Yeah. No, no. Wait, wait. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah. I worded that incorrectly, but I meant like shortly after this. Like, is this her trek around where we eventually lost her? I'm not sure when she God, disappeared. I sound so stupid as far as history stuff tonight. Let's just move on. Move on. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, we know what happens. All right. So let's talk about the year in film of 1931 to 1932. That's why we're here. It is. Um, so Walt Disney's Flowers and Trees, which was a short, was the first animated cartoon to be presented in full Technicolor, mm. which that's exciting. Um, that's really all I have for that. And then I didn't want to do the top 10 movies for both years, so I just kind of pulled out some notable ones. So in 1931, the number one movie was Frankenstein. Oh, cool. And the only other nominated movie um, that made the top 10 was The Champ, which was number six. And then in 1932, uh, nominee Shanghai Express was the number one grossing movie. And the Best Picture winner, Grand Hotel, came in at number three. Nice. What was number one? Shanghai Express. Oh, you said that? Yep. I'm sorry. It's okay. I figured you were starting like higher in the list and going down. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't because I only have two from each. But I also have a list. I think it's from Variety of the top money-making stars of 1932. So I'll read that to you. Number 10 was Joe E. Brown. Number 9, Will Rogers. 
Number eight, Clark Gable. Number seven, Wallace Beery. Six, Norma Shearer. Five, Greta Garbo. Four, Charles Farrell. Three, Joan Crawford. Two, Janet Gaynor. And number one, Marie Dressier. Some notable <laughs> film debuts from 1931 and 1932. 1931, we have the premiere of Betty Davis. Wow. And Otto Preminger made his directing and producing debut. That's with what film? The Great Love. Very cool. 1932 film debuts, Ingrid Bergman, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Shirley Temple, and Mae West. Wow. A lot of heavy hitters there. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't read the ones that didn't make it. Hmm. I only read the ones that we've heard of. <laughs> oh. Except when you do a top 10 grossing A. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I think that our listeners loved it. I bet they did. I hope they did. Write in. Let us know. Unless you hated it, then I don't care. And regardless, leave a five-star review. <laughs> okay. So here's some fun facts about the Oscar ceremony. Uh, so like I said, this was the first ceremony to be nationally broadcast on the radio. Which I have to imagine, like, if they weren't, there were, like, no speeches, like, then what is the point of listening to this? It's, like, ten minutes long? Well, I'm pretty sure, too. Yeah, I think it literally was very short. Well, yeah, I think it was. I don't think they it was. They had less categories, too. Yeah, it was just literally, it was like they got, they, I think they ate dinner, and then it was yeah. just like, all right, best actress, this person. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they did not do what they do, you know. No. Really. Well, this is probably like, the start of it. One of them is, like, 15 minutes long, like. Yeah, I think, like, the first the first couple were, like, super short. Yeah. It was, like, the first one was, like, a luncheon. It wasn't even, like, dinner. Oh, okay. And they already knew. The, we'll get to that on that episode. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, Grand Hotel became the only Best Picture winner to be nominated and to win Best Picture with no other nominations. Ever? Yeah. Wow. So far. Um, so- <laughs> Who knows? Wow. Really setting records <laughs> in 1932. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's crazy. In all four ceremonies before. Oh, I thought you were saying like. No, I'm saying now up in like in all the 90 something years since. That's what I asked. And then you said. Never mind. I thought you were saying. And I'm I was like, lost. yeah, so far. I'm like, maybe this year a movie will win. <sighs> OK, because that's what I was asking. The last film to win Best Picture without a Best Director nomination until Driving Miss Daisy. And wow. the third of seven to win without a screenwriting nomination. Wow. This was the first ceremony to feature short film categories. With that addition, Flowers and Trees, which I said was by Disney, became the first color winner and the first animated short winner. It also gave Disney an Oscar. And it also gave Laurel and Hardy their first and only Oscar for the music box. Uh, like I said, up top, this was the first and last ceremony where there was a tie for best actor. Uh, the rules stipulated that if a vote was within two, both would be awarded. So since there was only one vote separating them, they both got it. But I just want to point out that there were only three nominees for best actor. Who's so the poor third guy? Alfred Lunt for The Guardsman was the only one. He didn't oh, get an Oscar. Lunt. So he probably just didn't get like any votes. At the ceremony, Walt Disney was awarded an honorary Oscar for the creation of Mickey Mouse. Francis Marion won the award for Best Original, Scre- Best Original Story, which is like screenplay, for The Champ. 
And the year before, she had won for Best Adapted Story for The Big House, making her the first writer to win two Oscars. Nice. So they must both be working for the studio that made that also. Which uh, makes sense because I'm sure Wallace Beery is in both those movies. Exactly. He's under the so same it's all the same. Contract, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Frederick March, who we talked about, would be the first and only actor to take the prize for a horror role until Anthony Hopkins won for The Silence of the Lambs. Wow. What, what role? I don't know what you're talking he about. He won for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. That's all my background information. Are you ready to talk about some movies? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So there were eight films nominated for Best Picture at the Fifth Academy Awards. And unfortunately, um, we were not able to watch all of them again. Like we said last season when we did our episode from the 1930s, unfortunately, some of these movies um, are just not that readily available. And because we don't make money on this podcast we can't spend a ton of money on this podcast so we're not we're not buying movies well yeah but we do spend a ton of money we do spend more than we should already yeah (laughs) that's a lot we just started abusing the library system here what's not abusing we're using it the way it's meant to be well i abused it by returning movies late last week but that's true they were really cool and they were like don't worry about it they're like we're just glad someone uses the library yeah no okay so um so out of the eight, we only watched four, but I do want to run through quickly the other four that we didn't get to watch. Yeah. So uh, The Smiling Lieutenant by Ernst Lubitsch, produced by Paramount, um, is about an amorous lieutenant forced to marry a socially awkward princess, though he tries to keep his violin-playing girlfriend on the side. Mm. So that sounds fun. Um, this is a lost film, like that's... Damn. I guess they, in like the 90s or something, they found a copy. Mm, I want to say Denmark, but that might not be true. They found one somewhere and they were super excited, but the film was too degraded to show Damn. it. So that's The Smiling Lieutenant. Um, It sounds very similar, though. We know we watched, uh, what was the one we watched for last season? The musical about the prince. Hmm. love parade the love parade yes it's the same director and maurice chevalier was in it yeah. as well so i think it's like very similar to them yeah um hey, look at this poster for bad girl oh yeah i've seen that like that's pre-code yeah so it doesn't represent the movie at all but she's definitely wearing very sexy uh dress there Mm-hmm. would have been fun to bring that up when we we're talking about bad girl well we're getting there okay aren't we well i'm going through the ones we didn't watch first yeah, sorry i just didn't want to forget Okay, next up, One Hour With You, also by Ernst Lubitsch, with help from George Cooker, also produced by Paramount. Um, Synopsis, an unhappily married couple tries to come between a happy one. So, that sounds like fun. Sounds a little like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolfish? Sure. Next up, Aerosmith by John Ford. Yes, that John Ford. Produced by United Please. Artists. Yes, that Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that Aerosmith. No, it's spelled different. It's spelled like arrow instead of like you like like arrow. Like it's arrow. <laughs> <laughs> People know what I'm saying. Uh, synopsis based on Sinclair Lewis's novel Aerosmith. A medical researcher is sent to a plague outbreak where he has to decide Whoa. priorities for the use of a vaccine. What? That sounds awesome. It sounds so boring. 
Why? It has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 43%. They're fucking idiots. What does that matter? Okay. What, why? Wait, it sounds really good. I like that premise. Well, go try to find What's it What's it then. called? <laughs> Aerosmith. Okay. Maybe you should read the Sinclair Lewis novel. Mm. Okay. I wasn't a fan of, of uh, The Jungle. Next Give, is... I'm going to insert a laugh there. That was a good joke. Shanghai Express by Joseph von Sternberg, produced by Paramount. Synopsis, a loose woman rediscovers a former lover during a dangerous train ride to Shanghai. That also sounds really interesting. I know, and it starts Marlena Dietrich, and I really wanted to see that one, but we thought we'd found <sighs> a copy of it, but it turns out it was someone's re-edited version of it. Yeah, so it sounded really sketchy. To, and it also looked like garbage, so... Yeah. I'm pretty sure they found a copy or something or like had a saw a print and then like recorded the print on like DV tape and then edited that. That was my exact copy. thought as well. <laughs> but like like I said, uh Shanghai Express was the number one movie of nineteen thirty two. So nice. So yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So those, unfortunately, we were not able to watch those four movies, but let's talk about the four movies we were able to watch, such as such as Five Star Final by oh, Mervyn shit. Leroy. I thought Bad Girl was the first one. That's why I was. I I for, okay. Synopsis: <laughs> The city editor of a sleazy tabloid goes against his own journalistic ethics to resurrect a twenty-year-old murder case with tragic results. Use that ellipsis well. Thanks. Based on a play of the same name by Lewis, uh, I apologize now for how I'm going to pronounce his name, Wheatsoncorn. Uh, yeah, that looks right. Okay. I like it. Uh, based on his time as an editor for the New York Evening Graphic, the most sensational of all the front page era tabloid papers, critics called it the pornographic. Isn't that clever? At the time this film was made, the graphic had been losing circulation because its new editor had been trying to make it a more respectable paper. Essentially, just the plot of this movie was going on at that newspaper. I've talked for so much now. Now you have to tell me what you thought of Five Star Final. Oh, I I think this is the first movie we watched in this series, right? And it's kind of set the bar. This is the first one. We watched The Champ first. Damn. Okay. Well, this was also very good. <laughs> yes. Um, no, it's honestly super solid movie that's like, I mean, still pretty relevant, like deals with issues that are still, I mean, happening today mm-hmm. in, uh, in journalism in a lot of ways, uh, in many, in more ways. Like basically this movie is about clickbait <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in a big, bad way though. Um, but more about selling newspapers, obviously, which is not really such a thing anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, Edward G. Robinson, which you mentioned, is uh, this short little dude with a, who's a powerhouse actor. It, it, I swear, every time he was standing, someone else had to be sitting. And like, in a lot of <laughs> that's the kind, funny. It I was. That. I feel like he got the Tom Cruise treatment on set, <laughs> uh, but definitely just like a wonderful performance by him. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's just a movie that again, like it just its theme and stuff kind of 
resonated. It was really cool to see Boris Karloff in a really small role where he was not wearing a bunch of right. monster makeup or but anything. But still really looked like Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> right. And it's weird because that was the biggest movie he said the year before. Yeah. It's funny that he's just that he's just like this kind of creepy dude who, you know, kind of uh, goes undercover as like a minister. It's just this really weird yeah. role. And he's apparently a quite the womanizer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like it was really nice to see this. Uh, highlight for me though, besides that, was uh, was uh, the role of his secretary, uh, played by Aline McMahon, and I just thought she was like witty and like just kind of a great on-screen presence, and she got like her due. Like it wasn't like she was treated any worse than anybody else. You know what I mean? Like she mm-hmm. she was kind of like some of the brains behind that operation. You know, like her her opinion was respected even though it wasn't always asked for. <laughs> but, I mean, she wasn't treated any any worse. And, like, like that was something you don't see a lot in movies from this era, for sure. That's true. Uh, so it was really kind of cool to see that. Um, but, yeah, so honestly, some great performances all around, some dark stuff, you definitely yeah. pre-code. Like, it's why it's interesting sometimes to watch these movies. You know, you might have one concept of what these uh, movies from this era might be about or might what content they might contain, but this was kind of pushing that to the limits mm-hmm. um yeah it also i felt like you know you're saying like the secretary she had like her doing everything but i i feel like this movie for a movie that came out so long ago uh really treated women well on the whole like the secretary got you know like had a strong character and the whole the murder case that gets resurrected is this woman who killed a man um essentially she had gotten pregnant by him and then he refused to marry her. And so she killed him, but then she was acquitted. Yeah. But I just think, you know, and the secretary makes like several remarks, basically like what choice did she have? Like she was a victim in this Yes, because it was her boss too. It wasn't just some guy. It was her boss. So like, I feel like that also like brings up like, was it even consensual? I don't know. You know what I mean? So I feel like it, it does a good job of handling that. And, uh, I mean, a lot, all these movies, you watch any movie like pre late sixties, you have to be able to take some melodrama, you know? Yeah. And this definitely takes a turn towards the melodramatic, but I think, I don't feel like it's an, like a, it's a strong, like out of nowhere turn though. Like like, it feels, well, the dad kind of was, but fair. I mean, I will just say what happened. Like, sure. So they resurrect this murder story and, um, right on the eve of when the the woman who killed the man's daughter is about to get married the daughter of the woman who killed the man is about to get married yeah you just put my sentence in a different yeah but you kind of said it like the girl who killed the man's daughter that's what you said do you know what i mean so i'm just trying to make sure it's clear okay well she's about to get married and then she's all grown up yeah she's all grown up she's beautiful she's got herself a lovely fiance but then the story comes out and then the fiance's family doesn't want their son marrying the daughter of a murderess. Yeah. I mean, it looks bad. They're snooty. And, uh, <laughs> and so eventually the woman kills herself and then her husband also kills himself. On the day of their daughter's wedding. On the day of their daughter's wedding, which is, uh, yeah, it's not great. It's a little... Like, okay, you're not making things better for your daughter. <laughs> You've just made it a lot worse. But then the daughter gets to have, like, she comes into the newsroom and is basically like, you ruin people's lives. And for what? 
Right. And they do feel they do show guilt and they there are repercussions and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I did. I really enjoyed this movie, too. And like, you know what you were saying? It like I feel like it holds up so well today because we do live in a very similar system where like back when this is going on, the five, it's called the five star final because it was the last newspaper to get published uh, during the day. So there'd be multiple newspapers that were published throughout the day. And then the final one was the five star final. And that would be where like your biggest stories were. But like, because there were multiple, they had to sell like three, four newspapers a day. You had to keep creating stories to put in it. And I think today where we have like a 24 hour news cycle, we have all these different channels. We have whatever, like, I feel like that's very similar. You look at like a lot of the like true crime stories that turned people into like celebrities in a way, especially like in the nineties and even like today, you know? I just feel like that's where I feel like maybe we got away from that for a while when newspapers stopped being as important. But then like with the advent of TV and the Internet, we're just like straight back into creating characters out of real people without thought to what that does to their actual lives. So I think I think it holds up really well. Today. That's an interesting take. The weirdest thing for me watching it is like, man, people used to read the newspaper like religiously. That was like their main source of like. Of everything. Anything. Yeah, exactly. Anything and everything. That's why you had to get it several times a day because mm-hmm. stuff kept happening. If they, you know, mm-hmm. when it's your only source, you have to print everything that you think is newsworthy, you know? And right. And these are obviously like more tabloidy than. Well, yeah. But I mean, you look at like, I mean, the newspapers, what was it? Uh, what's his face? Hearst and whoever like started a war to sell newspapers, right? Like crazy stuff was happening with newspapers. Yeah. In this time era. I said time era. And I don't know why. You know, it's Let's late. We're tired. On. Yeah. So yeah, five star final guys. Even though we just uh, spoiled the whole movie for you. You should watch it. Yeah, we didn't spoil everything. Edward G. Robinson washes his hands a lot. Yeah. Now In a very like unsubtle. Now everything's spoiled though. Yeah. Also a lot of drinking. There's a, there's a speakeasy in this in this joint. It's a secret speakeasy for just journalists. Yeah. Which I'm like, who wants to go take a break from work to go drink with your colleagues? Colleagues, yeah. Don't you want to be away from them for a while? When you could just like, I mean, I guess it's, but then he also has liquor in his office. You know, well, they just had to get They had a office. set and they used it. <laughs> they used it. That's for darn sure. Do you want to know what other people thought of Five Star Final? Also, I would have liked to see that taxi race. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have the budget to shoot that. Yeah, I know, I know. Good idea, though. They're going to race a taxi across Manhattan. And they really hoped someone got hurt. They were, yeah. Because that would sell that more newspapers. News, yep. All right. So it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 75% and a critic score of 91%, but that is based on only 11 reviews. And it's not really named any notable lists, and the box office information is not available. So moving on. I love these older movies. I know. The next movie, the movie Kyle is so excited to talk about, is Bad Girl by Frank Borzage. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that I don't pronounce these names correctly, and I hope everyone just bears with when me. When you're writing it, though, you should just like write it out phonetically how you think it sounds, and then you wouldn't stumble every time. I think Borzage is how <laughs> Bad just- Girl. A man and a woman. Skeptical about romance, nonetheless fall in love and are wed, but their lack of confidence in the opposite sex haunts their marriage. 
I'll, were we not there yet? I was trying to. No, take no, the no. Lead. You're good. I just want to say that it was produced by Fox. <laughs> but <laughs> glad you fit that one in. I just want people to know. Sigh of relief. I'm sure people were like, I don't, I can't hear the synopsis if I don't even know what studio <laughs> produced it. Should I read it again, just in case they didn't catch it the first so time? They well, can hear it with that information. Uh, no, man, please oh. don't. <laughs> Uh, okay, so it's uh, from the 1928 novel by Vina Del Mar and the 1930 play by Del Mar and Brian Marlowe. The file for Bad Girl in the MPAA slash PCA collection at the AMPAS. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, like, the the rating system. So, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we put it together. Okay. Contains an evaluation of the novel on which the film is based, dated November 16th, 1928, by the Hayes office official Lamar Trotty, who said, quote, Bad Girl might be produced as a sex hygiene picture called Motherhood. It is simply the story of a girl who is, quote, bad for one night, marries the boy the next day, and then has a baby. The file also indicates that prior to Fox's purchase of the rights to the story, a number of motion picture companies, including MGM and Universal, had considered but ultimately declined to produce the film. Correspondence between the Hayes office and various producers between 1929 and 1930 indicates that the companies were strongly urged not to make the film based on the Del Mar story and play because it would undoubtedly be too censorable. By May 1931, however, Fox presented the Hayes office with a treatment of the story that apparently met with its approval for only a handful of relatively minor changes were suggested. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Where do we go from there? I'm just letting you know what the file said. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you what I thought of Bad Girl? Sure. Um, you know, the synopsis says that their lack of confidence in the opposite sex haunts their marriage. I would say what haunts their marriage is just an unwillingness to talk to one another. What we have here. Yes. Is a failure to communicate. You know, honestly, like, um, I feel like this movie was one of the weaker ones because I think this was honestly like a pretty strong year of the four that we saw. But I mean, this is like, it's a... It's a romantic comedy, you know? It's two people who don't um, don't particularly like the opposite sex who then fall in love in a day because that's how people in the 30s fall in love in movies. For sure. And, um, and then get married and then refuse to speak to one another about any important thing. it's just like it's like a series of misunderstandings i know it's like so ridiculous that people in the audience think like why don't you just talk to her well then maybe they obviously learned something you know maybe i think it's just like it's a cute little romantic comedy yeah there were some definitely some funny parts to it oh certainly um i don't think it's like revolutionary in any way though yeah, well, it, was, it was fun. It was fun. I w- like, I would absolutely think it was fun. I mean, like, the main plot point of this movie is that neither one of them thinks that the other person likes or loves yeah. their baby. Yes. <laughs> like, it's a big thing. That's, like, a main point. They, the again, like, she doesn't think he wants the baby. He doesn't think she wants the baby. But they're both very excited for the baby. Right. I will say, it is weird to be watching a movie where this guy's, like, being kind of mean to this girl. And then I wake back up and they have a kid. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot happened there. Yeah, you missed a lot. He bought a house without telling her. Yeah, he bought a house. 
He spent all their money on a house. Hmm. It was he, very a gift to the Magi. He wrote her a letter every day for a year. No. That didn't happen. Oh. Kyle fell asleep for some of this movie, apparently. I did. I missed I missed a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. You know. Just the whole middle. The, not the whole middle. <laughs> I guess it wasn't that long of a movie. No, it wasn't. But uh but still, regardless, for the stuff I did see, it was kind of, it was pretty humorous actually. Yeah, it's a cute little romantic comedy. I mean, I don't really have a lot more to say about it than that. I don't understand the title. I'll say that. Yeah. She's not a bad girl. Like, she marries this guy. She accidentally, they're hanging out at his apartment. But they mean, like, they're selling her in this in these posters I was showing you. Like, yeah. They want you to think bad girl. Right, but I'm just saying that's some false advertising because that's not what happens. No, she's... She they she accidentally falls asleep at his house until four in the morning, and then her brother assumes that they were doing it. So then she has yeah. to marry him. But, like, they weren't even doing it. Yeah. She had a weird relationship with her brother. He was very abusive. That's yeah. really what we need to dissect, I think. Yeah. But I he don't was know abusive. If I don't, there's not a lot to because, dissect with that. Yeah. <laughs> Did he, like, what happened to him? I don't know. Nothing. He was only in that one scene. She left. Wow. But then her friend was, like, his girlfriend, and then she was, like, Oh, she was great. You're a dick. And then she left him. Yeah. Actually, like, the women were pretty strong in this movie. I liked it. Yeah. Although there was. I mean, and it, it like it like deals in stereotypes. It was very she was all like men are just pigs, and then he was like women are stupid. And there was a lot of like that going yeah, on for like, like the first. No, no, no. I, yeah, but like that's fun in a way because at least they both got their opinion, rather than yeah. like. And they were both proven wrong sh- by each other. Well, not by society. Well, no, men are pigs. Exactly. Women are not stupid. Though. I'm sorry. Not no, not all. Well, there's men that are stupid too. I'm just being fair, sure, okay? Sure, sure. Not every woman is intelligent. Jeez. What do you mean? Like, hashtag not all women. <laughs> it's a new movement. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Four Year Reconsideration. <laughs> no, by Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, just me, okay. Yeah, I think we can move on from Bad Girl. It's it's a misser. Yeah, I mean, if you. Yeah. It's fine. Like, five-star finally. Hey, you see it on cable? Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you what other people thought about Bad Girl. It has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 41% and not enough reviews to have a critic score. Uh, as far as its legacy, quote-unquote, in the ceremony, it was one of only two films to win two Oscars. It won for directing and adapted story. Yeah. Well, at the box office, it made $1.1 million. Which today would be like like forty million dollars, yeah, four hundred million, like a billion dollars, exactly, better than Star Wars. Base adjusted for inflation, it's actually the highest grossing <laughs> film of all time. Gone with the what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up is The Champ by King Vidor, which is the best name ever. Produced by MGM synopsis an alcoholic ex-boxer struggles to provide a good living for his son straightforward the film did fine at its first preview until the last reel as originally written the champ loses his comeback boxing match then dies as his son weeps after going along with the sentimental story until that moment audiences felt cheated by that downbeat ending and as a result production chief Irving Thalberg ordered the final scene reshot oh he lives (laughs) no not that far uh this is the only best picture oscar nominee that year to have any acting nominations and 
as we said, Wallace Beery won for best actor after some cheating. I'm just kidding. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to anger people with that hot take. Okay. The film has... Devin's got thoughts about cheaters. Let me me, me tell you. (laughs) We were at a croquet tournament this weekend. That's right. (laughs) Because we are 28 and 29 respectively playing croquet on a Saturday afternoon. And then coming home to watch movies from 1932 (laughs) and play Jin Rami. Who are we? We're old people. Jesus. We are retirees. Okay. Uh, The film has been described as an inverted women's film because the men in the film are not generally depicted at the top of the socioeconomic ladder, but are shown as the primary child care providers. So it's kind of like, you get what I said. I don't need to explain that. Okay. I wasn't listening, but the audience might have been. (laughs) People have questions. Let me know. Okay. Uh, The Champ has had significant cultural effect. A number of motion pictures in the 1930s, some of them also starring Wallace Beery, repeated the basic story about a man surrendering to drink and redeemed by the love of his long-suffering son. Film critic Judith Christ has argued that almost any film pairing an adult actor alongside a child actor must be compared to The Champ in terms of chemistry between the actors and the effectiveness of the film. The film had an immediate effect on world cinema as well. The Champ is considered one source film which inspired Usaro Uzo's class. Did I say it wrong? Yeah, okay. Okay, can you say it? No. Okay. Because <laughs> I'll butcher it now, too. Uh, his classic Japanese film, Passing Fancy, in 1933. The film was in part an inspiration for the father and son in the Bernstein Bears books. You're getting crazy with these fun facts. <laughs> I loved the Bar- Oh, it's Berenstein. I always say it wrong. Berenstein Bears. Oh, that's a Mandela effect thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I loved those books. Cool. I don't recall the dad being an alcoholic boxer, but <laughs> it's been a while since I've read them. They just changed it to an alcoholic bear. <laughs> Maybe it's like one of those things like, you know, when you watch Disney movies as an adult and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of like adult jokes in here. Maybe if you go back and read the Berenstein Bears, you're like, oh, he's alcoholic. <laughs> that's a joke? <laughs> No, it's just like a oh, no, the knee slapper every time. <laughs> Tell me what you thought of the champ. I thought the champ was excellent. I'm a little like disheartened by the fact that apparently they remade it, including Wallace Beery, a bunch of times. Yeah, like they there's did more that movies lot that exist, <laughs> right? There's more movies like, and I know that's the thing, right? You used they used to take a formula that worked mm-hmm. and keep repeating. It. Like I get it, but like also starring Walter or Wallace, Wallace Beery, Beery and a kid, like. That's a little disheartening to me, but... uh, Well, but people didn't have, like, DVDs, so you couldn't just watch The Champ over and over again. If you no, wanted to see it again, hey, you have to go see a new that's movie. That's really fair. And I'm glad we got the champ to watch the chance to watch this movie, because I, I really fucking enjoyed it. I did, too. That was an unnecessary swear word, and I apologize. Uh, but, yeah, this movie is fantastic. Um, I wish Devin wouldn't have necessarily spoiled the end for you, but um, in her fun facts... I didn't. I said they changed it. And then I said... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not. We don't need to cover that again. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, this movie is like it's exactly what we think it is. I know a lot of people have seen probably the 1970s one or 80, is 80s, sorry, with John Voight and uh, Ricky Schroeder. Yeah, Ricky Schroeder. Um, which is, I mean, far, probably far more eyes have seen that are alive today. Uh, but yeah, what a, I mean, what a fantastic opportunity to watch this movie. I've grown to like Wallace Beery. We've watched a lot of his work just for the show mm-hmm. and he's great every time. And, and this is one of those performances that like is almost upsetting. He tied because 
I mean, he should have won. Yeah, I think he put in such a solid performance. And we were talking um, outside of the show, obviously, that the kid, and I don't have his name on Jackie hand right Cooper. now. Jackie Cooper. Jackie Cooper. 100% deserved a nomination, if not an award, yeah. for his role in this film. So it's so good. He, he just murders it. He murders it. He's the real champion here. Like, honestly, like mm-hmm. he he is something to marvel at. And uh, King Vidor, I mean known to be one of the early uh great directors does a fantastic job here I mean, from the opening shot on it's just it's a it's a really well-made movie uh probably the best made movie i think of any of the of the ones we we got to see from this year my i give it two thumbs up are you allowed to do that or is it just one i don't know i have two so i'm you gonna give two. i'm gonna Put give them both up. up they're both up yeah are you done Oh, I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I really, really uh, liked this movie a lot. You know, I thought it was funny. You were talking about, like, they kept remaking the same thing over and over again. And, like, the for the episode before this one, we talked about Barton Fink. Yeah. Where they have him writing a boxing movie, and they're like, he needs a dame or a kid. <laughs> yeah. So, which I think is obviously, like, a reference to this movie and then the other movies that it, it spawned. But, um, you know, I didn't know anything about this going into it, but it's... It's just a beautiful story. And I think that it's so rare across all decades to have a film with a father and son to this level. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like such a beautiful relationship. And even though the champ is, you know, on paper, not a good father because he's an alcoholic and he gambles away all their money. And um, those are generally seen as bad things in raising a child. But I mean, he loves his son so much. And I just think that like showing a relationship with it, with a, especially with a male character who is like tough and a fighter and whatever else, but he's so like loving and caring towards his son is just really beautiful. And it's heartwarming and also sad. And the performances are absolutely great. And I think, you know, this is, this movie was, there's like a bunch of writers attributed to it, but it was mainly written by a woman. And I think that that, helps it with that sentimentality a little bit but i do like that it is a father and son rather than a mother and son although i do think like it is interesting since we've already spoiled the ending like when he dies we i already spoiled the ending like when he dies that you know jackie cooper is like all these other people who have been part of his life for much longer are trying to comfort him and he won't take it and the only person who can comfort him is his mother yeah. Which is also very moving. For sure. It's just, it's a really lovely film. And again, like, yes, it veers towards melodramatic occasionally because that was just the trend. That was just what was popular in this time period. You know what I mean? Like, again, Wallace Berry is an actor who started out as a silent actor. And a lot of these people did. Not Jackie Cooper. But, um, and so there's just, like, a tendency towards more over-the-top acting than I think what we're used to as modern audiences, but I still think this movie like holds up so well because of those two performances mainly. Their chemistry is lightning. Yeah. Which is crazy because they like hated each other. Wait, an old man and a little kid hated each other? Well, Wallace Beery hated him and I guess he was like super mean to him because he felt like he was being upstaged by a child. He was. Well, he was. And I guess he said that like he would never work with a kid again. But this movie did so well. Him and Jackie Cooper made like several movies together. Are you serious? Well, yeah. I mean, maybe he got over it too. Like, maybe. I can see Jackie Cooper said that he was very mean to him. <laughs> Damn. I know. That's upsetting. I know. They're so good on camera. 
I know. From what I've read about Wallace Beery in real life, he's not a not a nice person. I mean, I think they put a little bit of that to every character he plays. Right. So. <laughs> there wasn't they weren't acting him a stretch too hard. Okay. But yeah, I highly recommend the champ if you haven't seen it. Uh, what did Rotten Tomatoes have to say about it? Well, I'll tell you, Kyle. And how much money did it make? I'm wondering. Okay. Well, Rotten Tomato audience score of 76% and a critic score of 83, although that is based on only six reviews. It has not been named to any notable lists. And at the box office, it made $1.6 million. Nice. Which in today's currency is... Is $8 billion. $8 billion. Yes. Okay. Last but perhaps not least, is this year's Best Picture winner, Grand Hotel by Edmund Goulding, produced by MGM. Synopsis. A group of very different individuals... Do you always say the studio? Yeah. I've never noticed that. Yeah. I'm going to pay attention now. This is the end of the episode. Okay. Synopsis. A group of very different individuals staying at a luxurious hotel in Berlin deal with each of their respective traumas. Fair. Mm-hmm. The screenplay by William A. Drake is based on the 1930 play of the same title by Drake, who had adapted it from the 1929 novel uh, Menschen im Hotel. That's German. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> sure is. <laughs> by Vicky Baum. <laughs> Again, just phonetically next time. Mention. Mention. I don't know. I don't speak German. Yeah, I can tell. Sorry. Uh, The phrase Grand Hotel theme has come to be used for any dramatic movie following the activities of various people in a large, busy place with some characters' lives overlapping Uh, in odd ways and some of them remaining unaware of the other's existence. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I said this was the airport of 1932. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, Bobby came to mind. Oh, I've never seen that, but that makes sense. Me either. <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. It's a really weird movie to pull on. It reminded me of this movie I've never seen. Like, yeah, it did. Okay. <laughs> Writing in 2009, Blake Goebel of the Michigan Daily called it the original Ocean's Eleven for its star power and compared it to Gosford Park for its dense structure and stories. <gasps> He added, the pacing is quick, the acting is eloquent, and the stories are actually interesting. It's pure theatricality, but Hotel lasted thanks to its simplicity, and the star power doesn't hurt either. This is grand old Hollywood captured on film. Oh, well said. I like that. I did too. That's why I included it in my fun facts. Good. What, this was a good use of your fun fact. I liked it. Oh, thank you. Do you want me to start talking about it, or do you want to start? Uh, maybe I will start. Okay. Because I didn't frankly care for it at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that, your, your, now you're your, done? Your, your turn. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm just kidding. Um, from the opening scene, I, you know, I was kind of hooked. I thought this would be really kind of cool. And, you know, it was for a while. You kind of got a good idea of what was gonna, going to go on. The performances were quick and, you know, I, 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 I was really liking it. But then, um... Scenes just go on too long, like a little longer than expected. There's a few scenes you didn't even need at all, really. Um, and it really just felt like it did not find its tone, really, or lost it, rather, and never really kind of got it back. Um, yeah, I think it suffers from kind of what you mentioned before about the silent star. Like, maybe they sometimes they overact a bit. I think that was certainly a problem. 
Yeah, you know, and it was off-putting. But again, I think its main problem is, I think scenes just went on too long, or there should have been like more intercutting of the story in some places. You know what I mean? There was just not enough there. I would have liked to include maybe even just some like witty one-liners or little back and forth with some of the staff members or something, which do pop up from time to time, but like, yeah, very rarely, and then not in like any kind of way of importance but if they kept going back there and showing the inner workings of this hotel while these other longer scenes are going on i think it could have made for a better movie but unfortunately sometimes it feels like you're just watching like a 10 minute scene that really doesn't go anywhere or go anywhere um in a timely manner Mm -hmm. um overall i mean you know i mean i think it's pretty easy to figure out my thoughts on its best picture win but um i guess we'll get to that a little later okay it was a surprise for me (laughs) i don't uh disagree with what you're saying i do think that it was too long there could have been stuff that could be cut down but um i also think it could have benefited you know like the kind of like coda on the ends of the movie it like ends and one i think it's like the one of the bellhops or one of the people that works there is like you know people come into the grand hotel and then they leave and blah blah like it's just a cyclical thing but i didn't it didn't feel cyclical enough like throughout the story like it really felt like yes we were following the stories i feel like if there had just been like yeah like maybe some of the workers or just like other characters who weren't as featured as much but just like smaller storyline because there is there's like one smaller storyline about a the like head bellhop whose wife is pregnant yes but if there had been like more little stuff like that with like other guests, I Wait, feel like do you it, know, like you know you're saying the same thing I'm saying like kind, like in a way that's yeah. kind of that's kind of what that's I meant. What I said. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, but that's, I'm yeah, that's, with you. good. Okay, but yeah, I think that would have like helped it. But overall, I don't, I didn't dislike it as much as you did. I thought that it was interesting. Again, like I've come to expect that there's going to be some overacting. Um, Greta Garbo was a lot though. She was like a lot in this movie. And I've never seen her in anything else, so I can't really, like, compare it. Although this is supposed to be, like, one of her most notable roles. So, um, she's beautiful. Beautiful girl. But I think overall people were good. I thought Joan Crawford was fantastic. Oh, absolutely. She was... Absolutely. Per- she was probably my favorite part of the movie. I, I, I would have to agree. And Wallace Berry is always good. And you got two Barrymores for the price of one, so that's fun. How do you know that? I mean, like, one movie? Yeah. One okay. movie. You got two Barrymores. Both of them. Dope. Um, and I just, I mean, like, I liked it. It did take a, a dark turn that I wasn't fully expecting. <laughs> but, uh. Fully? Were you expecting it at all? No. Okay. I wasn't. <laughs> I thought there were just going to be, like, some love stories and some, like. No, like, I don't understand the appeal of this movie. I really don't. Well, I think the appeal is, you know, I it's get the style. Airport it kinda, in 1932. <laughs> oh, my God. Airport is such a good movie, though. Guys, if you haven't listened to our last season, check out Airport. Don't watch Grand Hotel. Grand Hotel is like a minor airport. But I do feel like Airport, you know, was made in the similar vein of this I agree. Grand Are Hotel. you saying it couldn't have happened without Grand Hotel? Right. This was the blueprint no from which it, all these other movies stemmed. I'll give it. I'll give it to you. I'll let it. I'll allow it. I'll okay. allow it. Joan Crawford's everything, though. She is fantastic in this performance. Like, her. really, a scene steal. Like, her scenes are all interesting. Like, honestly? Yeah. Loved all of her scenes. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like this movie too, also for being pre-code, obviously it deals with some stuff that I don't think that uh, you would get in later movies with her specifically kind of yeah. the choices that she's making that yeah, they're not, they're not really. like super kind of balancing that though, that she's, she's kind of, she's, she needs money and yes. she's willing to do some And she's willing to money. do some stuff for that. Not like, you know, in an unprofessional way, but. In a very professional way. She's a very paid. professional way. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, but I just, I think that's interesting. Right. And it also had some stuff about class and with the for sure. poor dying guy. Hmm. I, I was know. waiting, by the way. I was waiting for him to be like nothing. And he like just blew all of his money. And, and now he's broke, <laughs> and, but like alive. That's such a great plot. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's probably been done a hundred times. I'm probably. just not thinking of the movie, but like, I was waiting for that to happen so much. That would have been funny. I feel like if this movie had tr- decided to be more of a comedy, they might have gone that way. But since they decided to go. For- I mean, that's the, that's where this movie falls. Like, that it's not it a comedy. should have been a comedy. It's, yeah. It really well, it should starts have. starts out, there is like a lot of comics. Yes. Stuff. It's like witty. It's interesting. It's going. It doesn't need to turn into a murder. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. Like, I get it. For the overall message about the hotel, mm-hmm. I understand that. But it could have just been about just crazy characters in everyday life and, you know, mm-hmm. different people coming together in one location, blah, 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 blah. I will say, I did think, though, like, with the murder... I don't know. I was like kind of like I thought it was a little like t- like Greta Garbo's characters like them not wanting to tell her like that sort of thing. I found that kind of like because she was that also was like so. mentally ill. So like maybe that her performance is like a choice because of that or I'm just like reading it as mentally ill because of her choices. I don't know. But I do think she was kind of mentally ill. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. No, I will, I, I will agree with that. But like then that's the yeah you're right you're right it needed some of those darker tones that they really did give the movie a little extra boost but mm-hmm. the murder i just felt was like a lot i don't know whatever it's not important. that's not even my biggest problem with the movie yeah. biggest problem with the movie is it's two hours long the length of a standard movie today but it felt like it was two and a half three to me honestly yeah well the way that they they don't edit movies well, that's not same as they that's not the same. Well, I think I that's part of why movies feel faster now, when, even when they're longer, because of the okay, way that they're I think edited. they just should have used intercutting, like which was a thing back then. So, I think yeah. they could have done more to make kind of, like it kind of flow a little faster. Oh, I forgot to mention when we were talking about five star final, the way they did the phone calls. Oh yeah, that was so. I mean, it's the way they do phone they've always done phone calls but like because it was you know 1930 whatever yeah it was, it was there, weird looking but like, there was a lot of interesting camera stuff in that movie actually yeah there was they did a lot of cool things um grand hotel did some did some more stylized stuff i think they really had a nice set to work with and they did some cool stuff too but yeah all right do we have anything else to say about grand hotel no i do not okay well, it has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 77% and a critic score of 86% based on a respectable 36 reviews. Uh, for its legacy, the American Film Institute on their list of the 100 greatest quotes ranked I want to be alone at number 30. And on their lists of screen legends, Joan Crawford is ranked at number 10 and Greta Garbo is ranked at number five. And Grand Hotel was preserved in the National Film Registry in 2007. 
And like I said, it was the third highest grossing movie of 1932, and it grossed $2.25 million. Awesome. So, yeah. So now we've come. Oh, I've, there were two honorable mentions that also Scarface, which I feel like is kind of a a famous film, and also Freaks, which I think has become more of like a cult right, classic. Right, for sure. So I just want to mention those. We didn't okay. watch those either, but we have other things to do. Here's the question that this entire podcast is based upon, Kyle. Did Grand Hotel deserve to win Best Picture? Why are we watching so many movies? <laughs> I like your question better. Um, I don't think so, obviously. Okay. What do you think should have won? I think The Champ, hands down. Like, hands down. Okay. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I wish we got to shine a light on the other movies from the year uh, that we weren't able to watch. But, uh, like, Shanghai Express being, like, a number one, that would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, I'm really sad we didn't get to see that one. But, uh... If anyone like owns it and wants to send it to us, let us know. But the champ was in excellent condition and it was fantastic. I really think it's just a great movie. And if this is about the greatest movie of the year, then that's fine. You know what I mean? I'll mm-hmm. take the champ, which was the loser. <laughs> but I want it to be the champ. What about you, Devin? I agree. Even though I liked Grand Hotel more than you did, I still think The Champ is a better movie. It just didn't. And I think it holds up better too. Oh yeah, absolutely timeless story. Like if I was ranking the four that we saw, I would go The Champ, Five Star Final, Grand Hotel, Bad Girl. I would say that too. Okay. Might even disqualify Bad Girl because I didn't really watch it. I thought you only missed a little bit. You know, how do we define a little? You know, (laughs) seemed like I missed a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are in agreement. The Champ was actually the best movie of 1931 to 1932. From? From July. No, August, August 1st, 1st, 1931 to, to July, July 31st, 1st. 1932. Yep. The Champ. The Champ. The Champ. The Champ. The Champ. champ. So, uh, we don't have a best song category yet for these oscars so i don't know what we came in listening to but we'll probably go out listening to that too oh excellent cool that makes it easy on me (laughs) all right all right see you next week bye guys bye